Welcome to the Impact Community Podcast, a conversation between pastors and church leaders. Whether you're a seasoned pastor or just a church planner trying to figure things out, none of us were meant to do ministry alone. That's why we have community, community that makes an impact. Welcome to the conversation. Let's talk. In 2006, I was young, fresh out of Bible school. Um, I was traveling and I got called and invited to be a part of the Bot PK Committee for preacher's kids. And so I drove from Northern Missouri all the way down uh, on a Sunday night after service, all the way down to Alexandria to get ready because I was told I had to be there on Monday. I did not know that they were going to pay my way. I was naive. I didn't know they'd give me mileage. I didn't know they'd give me a hotel room. I knew nothing. I was nervous, did not know why they had asked me to help, but I found out that year they took them to the campground and they were looking for someone that would really just babysit kids. And so that's what I did. Uh, but I had preached seven services the previous week, got paid $230 and was nervous because it cost me more in gas to get where I needed to go. Uh, and and uh, I was thinking, how am I going to make this all work this week? I sat down at the Monday night meeting and I leaned over to, a, uh, to somebody to just kind of open up. I knew no one there. I was out of place. And that person really wasn't in the mood to talk. And after that service, after um, after the communion and everything that took place on Monday night, I was scooting out the door to get back and just take a break. And I was feeling down and discouraged. And as I was walking out of the door, Stan Gleason stopped and said, hey, Paul, how are you doing? And in a way that he does so well, he took a moment with me and spoke to me. And he may remember this. And I looked at him after a few moments. And I said, Brother Gleason, there's a lot of other people you need to be talking to right now. And he looked at me and made great eye contact as he does so well and said, Paul, I'm talking to you. And for about 35 or 40 minutes, while superintendents and conference speakers, and everybody else was mingling in that room. He spoke to the 20 year old brat in the room and uh, made me feel like a million bucks. He's an amazing communicator, an incredible leader. He's also, um, most importantly, a great Christian, and he's making disciples. He's built a great church in Kansas City, and he's, by the way, he's our assistant general superintendent. And so uh, I just wanted to let him know how much I appreciate him. I know I can speak for all the men on this call and all the ladies on this call. We appreciate you taking a moment, and uh, we're glad to have you. And we just want you to have your liberty, take your liberty, I mean, and, and, and do whatever you feel to do for the Gleason. Well, thank you so much, Brother Price. You forgot one other thing. I'm also an all-around nice guy. I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of do remember that that moment, and but the only reason I took time for you is I didn't need anywhere to go preach, so I didn't have to go talk to anybody. Well, I'm still waiting to come. Get, I, I never got invited to preach for you, so we'll talk about <laughs> that after the call. Uh, that was such a nice introduction, and... Uh, I appreciate it, and thank you, Brother Paul Price, for uh, who you are and what you're doing in Northwest Arkansas for God, and you're building a great church there. We greet all the impact community in the name of the Lord, and uh, I'm sort of uh, uh, just shook up here a little bit. I was, I was planning on being with you on my computer, setting my phone aside, but uh, I hope you guys can hear me. I could just barely hear Paul. I had to turn up my hearing aid, I guess, a little bit. So I don't know why. Uh, so I'm on my iPhone. 
So I hope this will work okay. But uh, uh, I greet all of you. It's a joy, a pleasure, a privilege to have this opportunity. And I don't know about your city, but it's already a full-blown Monday in uh, Kansas City. We've got riots everywhere, protests. Uh, so sad. If the pandemic wasn't difficult enough, now we are, uh, you know, having to step up and respond in another way, in another layer of godly, apostolic, Christian response. And I don't know how much I will talk about that today. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a conversation with uh, two members of our church. One is on our pastoral staff. She is a, uh, she's over our multicultural ministry. And then also uh, one of our board members who is uh, not, there's not a high, more highly respected man in our church than him. And so the two of us and myself, two of them and myself are going to be on a conversation Wednesday and we're going to address the, the George Floyd tragedy in a try to put it in a biblical worldview context. Um, and it's just, our world is tore up. We're, we're just messed up right now. And these people that are protesting, I know that they feel powerless. That's why they're doing this. They're angry. Mm -hmm. They feel powerless. And why wouldn't they? But they're protesting the life of a man they've never met. And they're uh, doing damage to stores who are owned by people they've never met. And uh, I know it's because they feel powerless. They just, they want to have a sense of control. So I get that. I understand that. And we've all at some point felt powerless. But their response, we know, is not the answer. In fact, I think I just got a word from a member of our pastoral team that there's going to be a march for peace, which is what we need. Uh, we need to follow the Martin Luther King model right now uh, and march for peace. I was impressed, amazed, and thankful that Victor Jackson took the time to fly into Minneapolis. I believe it was on Saturday or maybe Friday, Saturday, I think. And, uh, you know, he brought the answer. He brought prayer. He brought Christ. And so uh, we cannot be silent. We have to speak up. We must step up. We must have a response. But uh, I think I wanted to just say a few things about that uh, to begin. And uh, let's just have a prayer that prayer for our nation uh, and that God will help us to to fill that void and to be those voices of direction for a, a culture that needs to feel empowered. Lord Jesus. I just pray over this talk today. I thank you for my colleagues, my brothers, my sisters. I thank you for even the diversity, Lord, on this call today. We want to represent the body of Christ well. We want you to be exalted. And we know that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. 
but you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I pray for every leader on this call today that we will have response, that we will be responsible, not for, but to our communities, that we will be voices of reason, sanity, direction. I pray that you will help us in a hypersensitive culture that we're living in today. I pray that you'll give us answers, that you will be the answer through us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I want to share with you some things I've been thinking about during this pandemic. And I'm sure that your leadership has been challenged, as has mine. Uh, we, we had our churches shut down. We, we all participated uh, willingly. I don't know about gladly, but willingly. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, one thing I, I'm going to ask you here in a few minutes is, what have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about your leadership ability? What have you learned about the congregation that you serve with, uh, you know, with a different lens placed over it, you know, this crisis, this pandemic? Um, And so I I, I do want to explore those uh, questions here in a minute. But if you stop and think about it, you know, my first thought, we can't be in church for Easter. You know, that's sacrilegious. You know, what's, what's, what does that mean? And I got to tell you, two weeks into the pandemic, which was two weeks before Easter, and the president said, you know, we want to be back in churches by Easter. Well, I think we all knew that wasn't going to happen. But just the fact that he said it really, um, sort of gave me a, a, a peace, a calmness to think that our president was for the church uh, and, you know, was for, you know, prayer and getting people back to church. It just meant a lot to me. And then, of course, a week ago Friday, when he uh, sort of put the whammy, you might say, on governors to uh, open up the churches uh, and said that, you know, if we need abortion clinics open, we certainly need churches open for prayer. Of course, we know we don't need the church building open for prayer. Um, if, if that's our mentality, then we've got a long way to go to be the Book of Acts church. And that's what I wanted to say that, you know, the first Easter was celebrated in a house. In fact, yesterday was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, for the first Pentecost Sunday, the day the church was born, was celebrated in a house and was for the next 230 years, if they indeed celebrated it on an annual basis. The first Christian church building dedicated for worship was not built till about 260 AD. And yet the church had a powerful impact in the culture and in the community. And it's made me think a lot about what I would call church theology and how we talk about church and how we're doing church. And, you know, to so many people, church is a date, a time, and a place. Uh, It's a location. It's an address. 
And I suppose that for too long, too much of the ministry has been ha happening behind the walls of an address, a campus. And really, uh, you know, I think God has used the pandemic. I don't believe he engineered it, but I believe he's used it to get the church back into the community, back into the house, back into the streets. There's an interesting verse in uh, Job, excuse me, Genesis chapter 49. I think it's verse 20 or 22 right in there. It says that Joseph is a fruitful vine whose branches have grown over the wall. And that's been my theme during this pandemic for our congregation. You know, we used to sing the old song, I won't leave the way I came in Jesus' name. piece about uh, the, uh, the millennial temple in Ezekiel, when you come in by way of the south gate, leave by way of the north gate. When you come in by way of the West Gate, leave by way of the East Gate. We've all preached it, you know, don't leave the way you came. But now we've shifted that to don't come back the way you left. And we've tried to send a signal to our local church uh, that this pandemic has been too expensive. It's been too costly. We've lost lives. We've lost health. Uh, we've lost people. Uh, people have fallen through the cracks. We've done everything we can do to keep, you know, people together. And, you know, we're in our last, yesterday was our third Sunday to reopen. And, you know, we're still at about, I don't know, 70% of our congregation. But uh, it's been interesting. I haven't felt threatened by the pandemic as far as the church is concerned, because we have uh, not been a church that does small groups, but we've been a small group church for 30 years. Uh, there was only three other churches that I know of that were doing small groups when we started house-to-house uh, -house ministry. That was uh, Kenneth Haney in Stockton, Chester Wright in Annapolis, and Tony Tamil in uh, Milwaukee or Oak Creek. And God really dealt with me about uh, taking the church outside the building and locating it where the church started and to let people know they can have spiritual experiences in their homes. And in fact, it was so exciting. I think it was on Tuesday of last week, uh, Vanita, who's our multicultural uh, director on our pastoral staff, she was having what we call Acts 29, which is the name we use for our, our home groups. They're discipleship groups, and uh, she has about five or six that have been meeting on Zoom during this pandemic, and as it turned out, only one was able to join on Tuesday, but it was the right one. Her name is Raquel. She's Hispanic, and uh, they were, she was teaching her about the, the Holy Spirit, and Raquel, Benita had baptized Raquel two weeks prior. She brought her to the church and baptized her. And uh, so Tuesday, they're having a meeting on the Holy Spirit and what it is and how you can receive it and how you know you have it and the evidence of it, the initial evidence. And here, God filled her with the Holy Spirit. Vanita was in her house. Raquel was in her house. And the Holy Spirit fell. Nobody laid a hand on her. 
And so uh, we, did have, we did have three receive the Holy Spirit yesterday. Let me just say this. Listen to this. Side by side, a Vietnamese, an African-American, and a Caucasian, all male, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit side by side. And I thought, you know, this is the church has, the church is the only entity in the world that has uh, the answer. We have the answer for this horrible, I am so broken about this nation, about our country. It just tears me up inside. And uh, it looks like we're going to be marching for peace uh, on Wednesday. And uh, whatever's going on in your city, to promote and advocate for peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. It's impossible to keep peace. But he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I just spent an hour with, uh, he's a guy that's been handling my retirement. Uh, what I'm trying to say for the last 20 years. And he told, he just told me today and I'm bragging on Jesus, but he said, you know, I've had five pastors in the last 20 years and you've been one of them. He said, but you're the only one that really ever I ever felt was called to do what you're doing. He said, the others sort of felt like to me, it was just their job. But we can't, this is not a job. This is a holy calling. And we're called to, to be peacemakers. And, and, and the branches have grown over the wall. And we can't be threatened by that, ladies and gentlemen. We can't be intimidated by that. We, you know, we've lost control of our churches. Anybody that has to have control is a nervous wreck. Uh, but Jesus, his culture was, he didn't have to have control. Let me just let that sink in for a minute. You know, when Judas was at the last supper and, and Judas said, Lord, is it I to his, to response to the question, one of you shall betray me. You know, Jesus didn't go crazy. He didn't go wild. He didn't, you know, do a smackdown. And quick, get the handcuffs. Throw this guy in a closet somewhere. <laughs> no, he, he, he gave him enough rope to hang himself, right? And uh, so we need to get, if we left it, we need to get back to the culture of Christ and how he looked at situations and how he treated people and how he demonstrated the love of God. And so uh, I pray that God will help you to respond to your community during this. It's just a heartbreak. It's just a heartbreak. Uh, so um, I, I suppose maybe that's by way of, a, of an introduction. Uh, there's two things, basically two things I want to share. I want to impart. One is more than ever before, we must, if we are not already, I know we're spirit-filled. 
I know we're a spirit-filled church, but that doesn't mean that we're a spirit-led church. And I feel the Lord calling us more now than ever before to be a spirit-led congregation. Spirit-led. Everybody say it. Spirit-led. We know what Paul wrote in Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not as many as are spirit-thrilled and spirit-filled and can talk in tongues and run the aisles and, you know, operate in seven out of the nine gifts of the Spirit. And when the Holy Ghost is really moving, it gusts up to eight of the nine gifts of the Spirit. That's wonderful. But just because somebody, you know, is gifted in this area, it doesn't mean they're led by the Spirit. We've got to be led by the Spirit because I'll just tell you, I'm not a calamity howler or a prophet of gloom and doom, but this is not the last pandemic that's coming. You know, we talk about pre, mid, and post-tribulation, you know, eschatology, but now we're in pre, mid, and post-pandemic theology. Pandemics are here to stay. Another one is coming. You can just mark it down. Another one is coming. And if we don't learn anything from this one, if we don't restructure, if we don't uh, mobilize our congregations, you know, let's face it. If somebody backslide in 60 days because they hadn't been to church, then they didn't have a relationship with God. They had a relationship with a building. They never a relationship with Jesus. They had a relationship with an address. But I'm just saying that more pandemics are coming, and we need to think about how we're structuring our churches, how we're doing church. In this whole church theology, I go to church. Is he in church? He's out of church. I've been in church for 30 years, or, you know, I just got in church. That, we have to eliminate that from our vocabulary because that makes no sense. If you, if you went up to a first-century Christian a first century apostolic born again Christian and said, where do you go to church? <laughs> They're going to be like deer in the head. It's going to be crickets for you. What are you talking about? You know, where do you worship? Well, I am worship. You know, we have to be the church and it may, you know, look, We have another theology that we need to talk about, and that's the second piece that I want to introduce. And that is what I would call separation theology. Separation theology, we, we preach separation from the world, and, and we've got all the scriptures for it. And I'm going to sort of unpack this in just a second. But, you know, let's not create the rapture before it takes place. And how long would it take? For your community to realize your church was gone when the rapture takes place. I hope it would be pretty quick because if it took a year or two, then maybe we need to evaluate what impact we're having on the community. So we've got to be a spirit-led church. We've got to be spirit-led men and women of God more than ever before, led by the Spirit. You know, I was thinking about uh, Lewis and Clark's expedition. And by the way, uh, 
I don't know if any of you have read this book, uh, Canoeing the Mountains by uh, Todd Bolsinger, but I highly recommend it. You know, they say a book is only as good as where you are when you read it. Have you ever had anybody recommend a book, say, man, you got to read this book. It changed my life. It turned my world upside down. You're reading it. And you're like, huh? You know, that was a waste of $15. Well, the reason is when the person was excited about the book, they were somewhere where you are not when they were reading that book. So just put it on the shelf. Maybe you'll be there in a couple of years. But this, this book speaks to transition and it uses the expedition of Lewis and Clark as a template that is laid over a great leadership talk by Bolsinger. And uh, he said, you know, Lewis and Clark had to make a decision when they discovered the Rocky mountains and that there was not going to be a, an uninterrupted waterway from St. Louis to the Pacific ocean. So they had to decide, you know, 300 years of experts had told them, you know, that the topography of the West was going to be just like the East, but the only mountain range they'd ever seen was the Appalachians, you know, with rivers running all over the place. And so now they met a, a mountain range they didn't, were not prepared for. And so they had to trade in their canoes for horses to complete their assignment. And, you know, obviously we're not talking about compromising message or truth, but uh, I think God, God has the church where he wants it. The church has been shaken up and God wants to shift the church, but we've got to be a spirit led church. And I'll just tell you, I feel very strongly that we need to, in our local congregations, we need to give rise to the prophetic, not the pathetic, but we need to give rise to the prophetic. I think Mark Batterson said, the less you pray, the more pathetic you come, <laughs> become, but the more you pray, the, the more prophetic you become. And we, we need to allow the prophetic, we need to develop the prophetic. You know, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And Paul said that prophecy is the most desirable of all the gifts. Why? Because it edifies. And prophets are like the eyes of the church. Prophets can see further. They see sooner. They see more. And I encourage every pastor on this call to pray and ask God to give you a prophetic partnership in the fivefold ministry. We don't need to be afraid of prophets. Why do we need to be afraid of it? It's in the fivefold ministry. We need, we need the voice of the prophets for direction. Uh, God can give you a, a local prophet in your congregation, or he can partner you with perhaps someone that has a, maybe an evangelist that has a prophetic dynamic, or perhaps an, an elder 
uh, in your life that has a prophetic anointing. Uh, and when we get in these pandemic situations, we need to be led by the Spirit. When you read the book of Acts, Paul wants to go into Bithynia. The Spirit suffers him not. He wants to do other things, and the Holy Ghost says no. And then the prophet Agabus comes and says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound just like I bound my hands with this cloth. And Paul says he's ready to go and be bound. And so, look, we need to take advantage of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 13, that the Holy Ghost would guide us into all truth and tell us things to come. Look, I, those two things right there, people, we are getting ready to see, I believe, the greatest unfolding of the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide into all truth. I felt like the Lord spoke to me last fall and said that the spirit of religion is weakening in America. The spirit of religious tradition is weakening in America. And of course, we know the Holy Spirit has been being poured out in all denominations since the, the, the Catholic and charismatic renewal back in the late 50s and 60s. And we're seeing this. And there are millions and millions and millions of people who receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying, Lord, let the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, that's what they need. It, it's got to break in uh, to these people because uh, if we understand the word of God right, Jesus said, you must be born of the water and of the spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to play God, but I know that I have to be true to my revelation. And uh, so I believe that revelation is coming. Uh, I pray over our pastors in our city. I pray, we have 1,700 congregations in Kansas City, and I, I pray over them faithfully and routinely. Lord, let there be a breaking in. God, uh, by the grace of God, I've been able to baptize two ordained uh, ministers, ordained in other organizations, and they both received uh, now their license with United Pentecostal Church. And one of them has a mission uh, in South Sudan. He went and rebaptized all of his pastors and evangelists, and they rebaptized all their congregations. They have 20 congregations rebaptized. That's when you know somebody got a revelation, is when they rebaptize somebody and they baptize them in the name of Jesus. So, so the Spirit is leading and guiding to all truth. And secondly, the Spirit will tell us things to come. And we are now, from now till Jesus comes, we have traded in our canoes for horses, people. It can't be business as usual. We can't come back the way we left. And I'll tell you what I think God is doing. He has downshifted the church. We're, we're, not, we're shifting, but we're not going into third and fourth gear. We're downshifting back to the first century. We are downshifting back to the first century. We've got to have that prophetic voice because the prophets see. Now, I'll just tell you, uh, some of you might know my son, Justin. Justin has a gift that I don't have. 
he has a prophetic gift. And he told me when we exited our building March 15th, he said, Dad, the Lord spoke to me and said, we will be back in the sanctuary in 60 days. And so three Sundays ago, May 17th, we re-entered the building. Honestly, I didn't have that prophecy in mind. I wasn't trying to make the prophecy happen. We were waiting on our mayor. We were waiting on the sensitivities of our community. But God knows. And if God knows, why can't we know? And if God wants to warn us about something, why can't we be warned? Now, I got to tell you, I was upset. Uh, I won't say with God, but more with myself. I was upset. And I'm thinking, God, how come you didn't tell us about the coronavirus? How come you didn't warn us about this? Where are the prophets? Where are the prophetesses? And how come we are silent? How come we are uninformed? It just didn't seem equitable to me that if we are who we say we are, why did we not have a heads up until I felt this way? I was frustrated until, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, you need to go to the World Network of Prayer Facebook page and go to the video published by Sister Flo Shaw, who does a fantastic job of leading our prayer force. Look for a video dated April 25th. April 25th. She says in that video that in November she was praying and the Lord spoke to her and said, Something is coming out of China. And it will impact every nation of the world. And then the Lord told her, and I'm just going to quote her, watch the news. <laughs> God couldn't have told her that before the Tampa Bay conference. <laughs> Sorry to toss that in there, but the Lord said, watch the news, watch the news. She kept saying it, watch the news, watch the news, watch the news. It's going to be all over the news. Okay, now wait for this. Then she said, she saw in the spirit the imagery of the coronavirus and what it looks like. You go, you go watch that. It's amazing. I've been in touch with her since I saw that. And she shared several other pretty intense things. But when I saw that video, I can't tell you what it did for me. It blessed me. It, it, a peace came over me. I said, thank God. You know, Hillsong, we don't have to go to them. We don't have to go to Elevation. The United Pentecostal Church had at least one prophetess that saw this coming. And she did share it with some key choice people. And so I'm just saying that more is coming. And God help us.
to be watching, to be waiting, to be listening. Because here's what I know. Before God sent a flood, he came down and talked to his partner, his earth partner, Noah. He, Noah, I can't destroy this earth until I talk to you about it. And before he sent fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, he came down and talked to his friend Abraham. Abraham, I've got to tell you what I'm getting ready to do. And so we've got to be listening. We've got to be listening because God, God is definitely speaking to the church. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and then I, I want to, I think this is about an hour call, and let me see what time it is. So let me just go about another five or six minutes, and then we'll have a discussion. Um, the second piece to this is when you read Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17, he, he introduces this tension between the church and the world. Eighteen times he talks about the world. You know, Father, I pray not that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from the evil. Uh, and then 40 times he refers to us or the church, or he refers to us as them. He says, you know, uh, sanctify them. Uh, I, have kept, I have them because I stayed with them. And uh, so he, he introduces this tension, uh, keep them from the evil one. Uh, and it's, it's all through the text. And so this is what I mentioned earlier about the separation theology. You know, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Come out from among them. First John 2.15, love not the world, the things that are in the world. First Peter 2.9. Your chosen generation, the royal priest of the holy nation, his own peculiar people. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But here's what I want us to get. Okay, we've been fasting and praying. And where has it got us as far as reaching the world? We have 32 million oneness Pentecostals in the world today. Five million on a good Sunday in the UPC or in our churches, 40,000 churches around the world. That's 0.03% of the population, 0.03%, oneness, Pentecostals. We've been fasting, we've been praying. How are we going to impact this world? I'm going to tell you right now, we cannot impact the world until the world impacts the church. I got, I got Bible. I've been thinking and praying about this. You know, there are, there are four, there are four statements that are made in the book of Acts that have never been made about the 21st century church. Not yet. And I hear preachers all the time saying, we're blowing the book of Acts away. We're just wiping out the book of Acts. We've left the book of Acts behind. We have more people getting the Holy Ghost. We have more miracles, wonder signs. Not really. 
yeah, as far as numbers, 3,000, 5,000, we thank God for those outpourings. But this hasn't been said about the 21st century church yet. And I'm going to tell you why, because we got the wrong church theology. We've, been, we've just been going to church instead of being the church. And I pray this pandemic downshifts the church back to first gear, first century church. Here's what the outsiders, they weren't saying this about themselves. The outsiders are saying this about them. You have filled this city with your doctrine. Can any one of us on this call today say that any random person, any magistrate, any mayor, any person in charge would say, those Pentecostals, they have filled this city with their doctrine. Second statement, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, and they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Is that happening? No, we're just preaching the word behind four walls. And we've got to redefine what a preacher is. This was not the apostles. This was the saints. The saints were going er everywhere preaching the world, word. And we won't reach the world until all the saints are preachers. We have 11,000 preachers in the North American United Pentecostal Church. We can't even get all them preaching because they think they have to have a pulpit to preach. and They have to have a congregation to preach to. Victor Jackson bought a round-trip ticket, went to Minneapolis for five hours, preached, brought hope, flew back. He didn't have a pulpit, didn't even have a sound system. They went everywhere preaching the word. What would happen if we went from 11,000 preachers to, Brother Bernard says, on a good Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we have 800,000 in North America. What if we went from 11,000 to 800,000 preachers? going everywhere preaching the word. Here's the third statement that hasn't been said about the 21st century yet. They turn the world upside down. Oh, we can turn our churches upside down. Yeah, we, we can turn our sanctuaries upside down. We can knock over chairs and, you know, run around like crazy and talk in tongues. We can turn that play. We got bobby pins everywhere, Kleenexes. We can turn our churches, our buildings upside down, but we haven't turned the world upside down. And then the fourth statement has never been said within the space of two years, an entire nation, present day Turkey, an entire nation heard the word of the Lord. So I said that the church is not going to impact the world until the world impacts the church. If you will study all four of those statements in the book of Acts, it didn't happen because they fasted and prayed more. And we need to fast and pray. It happened because the world impacted the church. Now, I'm not saying I have any great revelation, but I have never heard anybody say that. But that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to me right now persecution hit the church. And that's what turned the world upside down. And that's why they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And that's why 
the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the word. And that's why all of Turkey heard the gospel in the space of two years. So that's what the Lord is saying to me. We've got to be led by the Spirit. We've got to manifest Christ and be Christ. Get the message of Christ and the attitude of Christ out, the, out of the address of the church. And I could tell you stories. And the second thing is, we've got to think about our separation theology. We can't be so separate that not only are we not impacting the world, but not letting the world impact the church. This pandemic is in the world, and it's got to impact the church. And this rioting and looting and pressure has got to impact the church. We can't just wait for things to settle down and then go back to business as usual. So forgive me for uh, being on my Holy Ghost rant here, but Brother Price, do, do you want to facilitate a discussion or should I just, I ha, I've never been with you guys, so what do I do? Okay, go ahead. Brother Gleason, this is Jay Carney. Thank you so much, man. What uh, words of wisdom you have imparted unto us. And uh, I have been taking copious notes, and many on the screen have been chatting back and forth. But uh, thank you for taking your time out today to uh, speak to us. And we would love to open it up for questions. And, guys, if any of you have any questions while we have Brother Gleason on the phone, uh, would you please uh, – unmute and ask that maybe he can answer i've got my volume all the way to max and for some reason i can just barely hear so if i can't hear somebody maybe uh brother jay or brother paul you can repeat the question for me so i can be sure to hear it thank you uh brother gleason also i had the same thing i don't know on your phone uh, the top left there's a button that uh if you'll mash it i think it will oh help. There we go. Help me. <laughs> I just got healed. <laughs> hey. Yes. All right, guys, he can hear now. So we'll open it up for questions. Uh, would anybody like to start? Don't speak at once. Well, let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. What have, what have you learned about yourself or perhaps about the congregation you lead? What has this pandemic exposed that maybe you're excited about or maybe you're not so excited about? Because if we let this come and go and we didn't learn anything then what has been the purpose of it so how has the pandemic changed your maybe your ministry mindset or your model or you know what have you discovered that's i guess that's a question what have you discovered about yourself during this time brother Gleason, Devin Eckers here i i want you to know i've learned that um i'm a little bit of well, a lot of bit of a control freak. And uh, as many times as I told myself that I was letting it be God's church, 
I did not realize that I was using Sundays as a way to sort of corral and mm. maybe even manipulate with some emotionalism at worst. Uh, you know, I, I hate to put it that way. Maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement, but uh, kind of learning the fact that uh, real prayer lives and things that sustain us, uh, we don't live from altar call to altar call. Um, and really, you actually address the altar call even in your book and kind of talked about uh, not that uh, diminished it or made it a bad thing, but certainly uh, that it isn't necessarily biblical, although it's a good method that we use. And so I think a lot of the things you addressed today, um, or maybe even that you addressed in your book, uh, we actually saw it kind of manifest itself in real life. And so it was a humbling experience. And honestly, uh, I, I'm talking about it like it's past tense, but it is an everyday humbling experience. And, uh, and so I think that's something I learned. And I'm honestly, uh, I'll just end with this. I, um, I wasn't really extremely happy with all the things I learned about, not just the people in our church, uh, but even more so uh, myself. And so it was challenging, a little bit scary, and uh, hopefully we can start working on them day by day. I'm so proud of that. I think that's a very uh, transparent uh, moment there. Thank you, Brother Devin, for for sharing that. And, you know, you're going to be better for it. I'm going to be better for it. We're going to be, you know, uh, yeah, anytime. Look, God, God decentralized the church in the first century in chapter six, and he did it again with the pandemic used it. I don't believe God sent it, but I believe God's using it. And and if God allowed, God could have stopped it, but if he allowed it, then you can bank on this. It's going to be about his mission. So that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, we can't, we can't control it. Johnny James, elder Johnny James said, elder Gleason, a pastor has to make a decision whether he wants to control dozens or lead thousands he told me that 30 years ago wow i love elder james hey guys can i chime in if nobody else go ahead yes, hey, sir. Uh, brother gleason um so what i one of the things i've learned um i will i will say i'm kind of like Devin. i do have a touch of ocd and uh, in this pandemic the lord has been decentralizing um, my focus, because I lo we love having everybody together, preaching to everybody, seeing the big crowds, almost kind of knowing that, okay, people are living for God because they came to church. That's not always the case. But in prayer one day in the sanctuary, I was praying and God was dealing with me about you've got to train the church, how to be the church. And I said, God, what, what does that really mean? And he, he kind of focused on baptism. I have a touch of OCD and maybe I've had a hang up because I thought if somebody's going to get baptized, they need to bring them to the church, have a minister baptize them. And the Lord said, it's almost like he challenged me and said, if two men are in the desert or in a, a wilderness place and one of the men dies and the other man has a shovel, who's, um, who is qualified to bury the dead man, the man with a shovel, because he's got the ability. He said, teach your members how to baptize correctly so that when they teach somebody a Bible study and the desire manifests itself, they will know how to baptize somebody in Jesus' name. 
The, and so God said, if they've got a shovel, they're qualified to bury dead folks. And so that was a, I said, okay, God. So I'm going to have a service where I not only preach the importance of baptism, but then release people. If you're in a situation where you're teaching a Bible study and somebody has truly repented, they're truly dead to sin and self, and they want to be baptized and you can't get them to a church, baptize them in the name of Jesus in the nearest body of water that you can find. Wow. Wow. I'm so proud of that. That is so apostolic, but you made a lot of preachers nervous right there, Brother Jason. <laughs> I, I was nervous when I first felt it, but God said, hey, the man with the shovel is qualified to bury. Well, that's a great analogy, and that's a powerful revelation. And once again, if you allow that, if you promote that, you are going back to the book of Acts. You are going back to the book of Acts. There, there is nobody. I've had preachers take me to task for this because I've been saying this same thing that God just spoke to you, Jason, but it, who baptized 3000 on the day of Pentecost, 12 guys that would have taken 20 hours. We know that didn't happen because the Holy ghost didn't even fall till 9 AM in the morning. Peter preached a long message. It's a long one in chapter two. And the Bible says with many other words that he testified and exhort saying, and for years, I've wondered, where did they baptize 3,000 people until I was in the Holy Land on the, yes. on the, on the, the, stair, the southern stairs of the temple? Yes, and our sir. guide said, do you, he said, he, he's an apostate Jew. And he said, have you ever wondered, you Christians ever wondered where they baptized 3,000? He said, turn around. And there was this huge mikvah right there. Yep. And he said, there's dozens of them that we've not, not even uncovered. This is where they baptize all those people in Jesus' name. That's right. So anybody that tries to make a case that only licensed ministers baptize, they're overlaying a historic church template over the book of Acts, and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Ananias, a certain disciple, baptized the greatest apostle who wrote half the New Testament and prayed him through to the Holy Ghost and laid hands on him. And Saul had a miracle where his eyes were open. Not, not an ordained you know, ensconced pastor, a certain disciple and pastors that are willing to empower their people to baptize. You know, now I just, I don't just want just anybody baptizing anybody. I want at least to quit smoking, you know, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> right. But amen. I'm excited about that. Amen. That's awesome. All right. Good. Thank you. Anybody else uh, like to share real quick? I'll, I'll throw this out. Emil. Uh, hey, Brother Gleason. Uh, I think I've learned that our church has been close, uh, but not in community. Uh, we are lacking uh, a certain level of empathy uh, that I think is required for unity. Uh, I've got uh, here in Detroit um, a church that's got, you know, very conservative, far-right, politically, you know, Caucasian people and plenty of black people that have grown up in uh in black churches and have never been around anybody that didn't look like them and we've coexisted very well and uh we've 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 had a great time doing it in the time we've had the church but i'm learning uh right now that there's a layer of empathy or actual community that's lacking where people in our church were maybe coexisting 
worshiping together, being next to each other, high-fiving each other. But as the tensions around uh, have heightened, um, you know, and they're watching each other's Facebooks and, you know, and watching each other's interaction with the material, uh, there is a, a gap uh, of mm. empathy. And I, and I see, I think everything that in our church that um, I, I don't like to see, I always try to look in the mirror and, and know that it's probably in me. And I think uh, I've, I'm probably have not been relational enough or maybe spent the necessary energy to build that uh, empathetic family culture. I'm kind of a machine thinker in some ways. And that is rearing its head in this season uh, where, you know, there's people on spectrums of this conversation in life experience that are now um, uh, clashing rather than uh, being in community. And, uh, and, and that's something that I'm, you know, I'm, I've really learned that we, you know, connection and community aren't the same thing. You know? mm, mm. Like you said, like the imagery of a high five, but, but there's not that, you know, crossover. Yeah, yeah, it's to that point, but it doesn't. Wow, that's, man, that's so transparent, Pastor Jamil. And uh, yeah, I think this is exposing things that aren't always pleasant to, to see. And we find out things about ourselves and about our church that we're not really that excited about. And that's why God's placed us where we are. That's why he's given us his word. Uh, and you know what? Jesus is still the answer. He's still the answer for this pandemic. He's the answer for the, the cult. You know, let me just make this comment. Why are we not surprised? Jesus said that nation will rise against nation. That's ethnicity against ethnicity. And then he said offenses, offense will rise. Offenses will come. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a very offended uh, war, a war that's inspired by offense against the races. And the church is the only answer. The politicians don't have it. The law enforcement doesn't have it. The church is the only answer because of the Christ that leads the church. Amen. Amen. So awesome. Well, it's... Uh... Almost 1230. We'd like not to go longer than an hour. And uh, certainly Paul will be sending this out. Uh, real quick, some things I learned, uh, Brother Gleason, and then you mentioned it in your closing comments there. Number one is God is still faithful uh, through this season. Uh, number two, I learned there is a shortage on, uh, on, on certain items like toilet paper, uh, but there's no shortage on opinions. And as you mentioned today, we must be spirit led and we must do what's best for our church and what God has called us to do. And uh, it's so important as you reminded us today and certainly the two key points. And uh, uh, just thank you so much. Uh, I reckon another thing that I've learned is what one person deems is essential, uh, the next person does it. We all see it through our own eyes. And uh, uh, so thank you so much for sharing. God is still faithful. Jesus is still the answer. And uh, we're so grateful you took time out uh, for doing this today. And uh, we love you and we appreciate your leadership. And uh, Thank you, Brother Jay. Great to be with everybody. It's a great honor. God bless all of you.
Thank you. God bless each of you.